0: Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, a show for accountants using technology to make their jobs more strategic and impactful. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. We have a special guest today. His name is Matt Paff, and he hails from Sydney, Australia. Matt is an experienced business software consultant, executive advisor, non-executive director, presenter, blogger, and aspiring futurist. Matt, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me, gentlemen. I guess I should say good day. G'day.
0: Good G'day. <laughs> And I, I hear that you have a great view that we unfortunately cannot see. I, I will take a photo
1: and, and send it to you. I'm at a client's office right in the middle of Sydney looking at the Harbour Bridge and the Opera House. It couldn't get more uh, quintessential Australian, I don't believe. unless I had a kangaroo, a kangaroo walk past me at the same time, maybe.
0: Or one of those giant spiders, right? Yeah. Um, I do aspire to eventually visit Sydney. I've never made it there, but uh, I'm excited to have you on the show today, Matt, because we were just talking about you on our last episode. Uh, and I, I, I have been a longtime reader, admirer. Uh, I've been enjoying watching you or, or seeing you on LinkedIn uh, post all these articles. Uh, somewhat, some, We might say somewhat critical of uh, vendors in the accounting software space and calling them out, which is great because not too many people do that.
2: Well, what's the title of your articles, Matt? You're always like, this is the one nobody dared to write? Like, what, what do you always title
0: them? Uh, look, yeah, my event reviews are, are the review
1: no one else will write. But I, I, I noticed a lady yes. a lady in America picked up on that, and she did the same thing for uh, Scaling New Heights recently. So someone else has taken my my, my, my brand and run with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh,
2: Give it back to Matt. Give
0: it back. It's the ultimate flattery. It is, yes. Well, Well, Matt, your latest article caught both my and David's attention. Uh, It's titled, Hey, Mid-Market, Zero and Intuit Are Coming, and you published it both on LinkedIn and on Digital First. And, uh, Matt, we wanted to give you the opportunity to come on the show and uh, explain, you know, what what do you mean about this? What's what's your argument here?
1: Well, look, uh, just a bit of a background on myself. I used to actually run a mid-market accounting software vendor. So I'm coming at this from an angle of someone... Um, dare I say, who has, has experience in, in what I'm talking about, um, I, I really started to pay interest to what's happening in the cloud whilst I was general manager of, of said vendor and was really sort of looking, okay, five, 10 years down the track, how does a mid-market vendor compete with effectively what Zero and QuickBooks in particular are building? Um, because y- you only had to look at what had already happened with Salesforce, um, what was sort of in a way already happening with NetSuite and, and see where this idea of platform in the cloud really came about. Um, interestingly, if, if you have a look at Sage's journey in, in, in recent years, Sage was the cloud denial company. And then they got a new CEO in Stephen Kelly and all of a sudden they were all about the cloud and Effectively, they made what I thought at the time was an odd decision to go with Salesforce as their as their, their, their the basis of all their new technology. But in hindsight, it was actually recognition that the future is about platform, and it, it's not an overnight thing that you can build. You can't go and build a platform in five five years. If you have a look at Zero's investment, mm-hmm. it's been over ten years. If you have a look at Intuit's investment, uh, QuickBooks Online is now over sixteen years old. Um, If you have a look at NetSuite, it started in 1998. It's now a 20-year-old platform. And so platforms take a deep amount of investment over an extended period of time. And so when I was actually looking at what's the future of the mid-market, I was actually looking at what already existed. In Australia, we were dominated by MYOB. And I was also looking at, well, what's coming as far as platforms? And I I actually struggled with, well, how how do we differentiate as a traditional accounting software player? Um, when all all this is happening. So the article that you you sort of commented on was really um, me as an outsider now, I'm no longer running that that mid-market company, looking at what has transpired over the last three years since I left there and I I haven't seen really any innovation from from the players that continue to operate in the mid-market. And and as I sort of talked about in the article, I then – help a client out who is then told that they can't go with, I'll say it here, with QuickBooks Online because um, of these seven reasons that just were were fallacies. They were the reasons that we used to sell against QuickBooks Desktop and and MyB Desktop 15 years ago, but you can't keep trotting out those same old reasons when we move to the cloud and, 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 and platforms. So that's really where it all came about.
2: So Matt, before you kind of jump into those reasons a little bit, um, you told me the story I think when we were at Sydney were drinking a beer or whatever, I was in Sydney a couple weeks back, and I think you were telling me the story, like ultimately you built what was being sold to this person in, what, two days using basically off-the-shelf QuickBooks Online and off-the-shelf apps, and you built their whole entire workflow for pennies on the dollars. Can you kind of go into that a little bit before you jump into all your six or seven points? Yeah, and, and look,
1: at the end of the day, it it, it – I did it as a challenge to myself. It, it was a former employee of mine who had made a decision to go with what you guys know as Acumatica. We call it NYB Advanced in our market. And effectively, an implementation of Acumatica with a mid-market consultant, you know, you're not getting out of bed for less than $50,000. Uh, generally higher than that. And when I, I looked at this client, they, there were four employees in the accounts department and 20 employees who were approving purchase orders. And, and I looked at it and I went, well, if you go with a, an MYB Advance, you're going to lose bank feeds. You don't get bank feeds. You're going to have a system that's not as user friendly. And, and I actually did it as an experiment. I said, what if I could give you exactly what you want using a zero or a QuickBooks? And I, I'll go into the reasons why I actually recommended QuickBooks over zero. At the end of the day, I'm completely unbiased. It was just that this is a not for profit client, they needed roll up budgets. Um, they they had more than 200 staff on the payroll, and these are, are limitations of of zero, and then they're, they're not limitations of QuickBooks Plus KeyPay in Australia. So we ended up recommending QuickBooks, and, and invariably, I said about going, you know what, I, I think I can do this, and the client didn't believe me. They're, they're currently on, they were on a product we know these days as Sage 300 Construction and Real Estate. Historically, it was known as Sage Timberline. Um, which is a mid-market ERP solution, and they looked at, well, a direct replacement, and and they looked at NetSuite, they looked at various products, and then I come in and say, well, for $35 a month, you can get QuickBooks online, and they don't believe me. Can't possibly do what we need. And and so, yes, I, I, I go, you know what, I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to try and set this up. And using Approval Max and QuickBooks Online, I was able to basically create their workflows in a, in a period of two days with their data. I got their their event codes. I got all their suppliers and customers. And we actually set up a working version of what they wanted. And I went back and demonstrated it to the executive team. And they just sat there slack-jawed and couldn't believe what they were seeing. And they kept asking. And, and I get all of this for less than $100 a month? Are, are you kidding me? And, and, you know, the user friendliness of Approval Max on a mobile phone or, or, or these sorts of things, you just don't get with the mid-market equivalent. Um, they're not as user friendly. They, they have the functionality and they can be customised, but they're just not out of the box, easy to use and intuitive. And that's really where I, I, I have the, um, the issue with the mid-market at the moment is there's, at some point flexibility is being traded off for complexity and, and that you need to find the balance between flexibility and and user user experience, I believe. And I, I just don't think anyone's there yet.
0: Yeah, I, I I will completely agree with you, Matt, that that the most of the mid market vendors have just done a terrible job of updating their products of 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 building easy user experiences. It's just, it's just terrible, right? And the lack of bank feeds in most ERP systems is just staggering to me. When I, so I, can't, I come from the opposite uh, point that you did, right? I started in the small business accounting world, so I was very comfortable with the concept of being able to connect to the bank and download transactions automatically and credit cards and whatnot. And then I get into the mid-market and I find <laughs> out this is not even possible, I mean, how is this not possible, right? All you have to do is copy what people have already been doing for 10, 15 years. Um, and that is that is amazing. And I, I think there are some really easy opportunities, like the one you pointed out, um, where you can take a company that that was looking at ERPs, uh, mid-market solutions, but going to pay a lot of money, and, and you can use you know QBO Zero and add-ons to give them the, the 90% of the functionality that they need or even I'll more. I'll just interject
1: and say this isn't actually a new thing and it's not just the cloud thing. If, if you look at the mid-market and, and try and define what mid-market actually means in Australia, there's, in my mind, mid-market, the best definition I can come up with is medium-sized business. I, I think, Blake, I heard in your podcast you talk about where they've got their own internal accounts team, um, there's people on staff rather than necessarily using an external bookkeeper, and, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, invariably, to put a demographic around it to try and quantify what is the definition of mid-market. The the Australian tax office in Australia, and this is going to sound horribly small for for the American audience, but the Australian tax office defines a medium-sized business as having more than 20 staff and less than 200. Now, that's very different to your definition of mid-market in the US. I I realise that. But but I want to give you another stat. In Australia, there are only 3,888 companies with more than 200 staff. As of December last year, so you're talking about the Australian um, business environment is very much small business. There is there's about fifty thousand businesses with between right. two and, and two hundred, and then there are less than four thousand with more than two hundred staff. So when you look at that, you start to go, okay, that the mid market in Australia is quite different to what the mid market is in the US, and so the vendors that that service that market are quite different. But interestingly. If you have a look at that 2 to 20, two, sorry, the 20 to 200, what products are they using? The majority, the vast majority are using what other people would term small business software packages. They're using MYOB right. They're using what we call Reckon, but you guys call QuickBooks. They're using zero into that market space. In fact, I would hesitate as to say about 65% of medium sized businesses in the Australian market are using small business software. And the way they've been able to do that is that there there have been add-ons into that space for many a year. And in terms of the U.S. market, um, you've had Fishbowl. If someone basically starts to outgrow uh, QuickBooks and they're an inventory-style business, you just go and get Fishbowl and you can add it on. And that happens here in the Australian market with the Reckon product. We also have products in the Australian market, one called Estendo, another called Datapel. They're effectively ERP functionality solutions who happen not to do the general ledger and bank wreck in the back end, but they do most of the other things. And so the very definition of what is mid-market from a software perspective is, is, is something that it's not new, this ecosystem thing, when it comes to cloud and APIs, because everyone I've just mentioned relates to desktop. What is new is that the average small business is now using cloud software in Australia. We're about 50% penetration on the cloud. And so if you're a mid-market vendor, you're trying to sell to someone who's using the cloud and you're still on the desktop. How are you going to convince them to get go away from having bank feeds and not having to enter customer payments? How do you... You, you, I can't see you ever do it. And and I've spoken to people. That, there's no
2: migration path. They, 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 logically, there's no migration path up. Yeah, I've
1: spoken to people at Netsuite. Surely in Australia, you guys are now coming up against it, where someone can't understand why you don't have bank feeds. Yeah, you can go get an add-on like Nolan, which is you know tens of thousands of dollars a year just to give you a fraction of what Zero and QuickBooks and MyB do out of the box. Um, it, it's a really a difficult thing invariably the way they're selling and i've spoken off the record to a number of the salespeople, they just try not to talk about that during the sales cycle leave it up to the person doing it leave it up leave it up to the person <laughs> during the implementation you know yeah. like if, if the customer doesn't ask then it's the customer's fault
0: dirty secret of sales
1: and and and, and that's really that that's that's what i'm saying is that This isn't new that small businesses will continue into the medium-sized space using add-ons. As I said, Fishbowl in the U.S. is the classic example of that with a mid-size. In in fact, I remember speaking to Sasan Ghadazi at um, QB Connect last year in San Jose and I asked him, where's your aspirations on the mid-market? And he very arrogantly, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but he very arrogantly said, Matt, we already own the mid-market. If you have a look at the the number of customers who are medium-sized businesses in the U.S., Most of them are using us and I think, David, you you, you quoted how long Google were using QuickBooks Desktop for and and these sorts of things. There is this thing that there are mid-market vendors and they, they see negatively the small business vendors but in reality, they're, they're already their biggest competitor.
0: Matt, this is uh, this is fascinating to me. I had no idea that the definition of mid-market was so different in the in the U.S. versus Australia. So, uh, what was what was the employment number? You said the range is that's kind of typically accepted.
1: Well, look, you'll never get vendors basically describe what the mid-market is and all agree. Um, But ultimately, what I'm trying to do is quantify, well, what is is it? And and in Australia, the Australian Taxation Office, the ATO, and the Australian Bureau of Statistics both use the definition of a mid-sized business. is 20 to 200 employees.
0: Okay. So to put that in perspective, in the US, the US Census Bureau, which is actually not – the authority in this case, but the the government says that uh, uh, a mid market business has between a hundred million and three billion in annual revenues yeah, uh, so, in the U.S.
1: So, if you talk to the mid market vendors in Australia about what the revenue profile would be, it's about three million to a hundred million. Okay. So we're we're talking very different spaces. So we would call in the I think you have um, Sage Line One Hundred over there. Um, that's really where our mid-market starts. Um, nah. So when, when you then talk at the upper end, yes, certainly NetSuite is a mid-market product in the Australian market um, and interestingly, they've, they've just launched their, their suite success for rapid deployment. But interestingly, in Australia, we have a, a company called J-Curve. J-Curve negotiated a licence from NetSuite many years ago to effectively bring um, NetSuite at a cut-down price into the Australian market. And so they're selling as a mid-market vendor, but a, a, a very um, cut-down license, for one of a better term, mm-hmm. the NetSuite platform. Mm-hmm.
2: And
0: yeah, well, they, uh, yeah, it wouldn't make sense to sell it at the price they do here in the U.S. to uh, companies substantially smaller in Australia. Um, so uh, I cited that U.S. Census Bureau figure. That's actually not how most people define the mid-market here in the U.S., I found sort of two ranges, right? There's a narrow definition and a wider definition. So the narrow definition is about fifty million to five hundred million, and there's about thirty nine thousand, call it forty thousand of those businesses in the U.S. It's a lot, right? A lot more than than you would have in Australia, and then uh, the wider definition would be about ten million to a billion dollars a year in revenue, and that's two hundred thousand businesses like that. So. yeah, very, very different definitions. Totally changes the way I view, the way I interpret now what you are saying, and and um, makes total sense to me that you know a business with a couple hundred employees could easily extend a zero or a QuickBooks Online to get what they need with add-ons. Absolutely. Interestingly,
1: the, the quantum is about the same. You talk in terms of forty thousand up to two hundred thousand, depending on which range. As I said, what what I am determining here is mid market in Australia. It's about fifty thousand. And throw in another ten thousand in New Zealand because often we we bundle Australia and New Zealand together.
2: I was just going to mention, I maybe mean, if I look back historically at QuickBooks Desktop, you know, people just stay on that forever. Like, like the it's almost like mid markets defined by, you know, when you finally give in and buy that next fifty thousand dollar package, right? You, you move from a five, it, it get best if you bought every single possible thing for like a QuickBooks Desktop. Maybe you're spending five grand every two years or three years, right? And and there's there's that. I think mid-market's almost defined by that day you give in and you finally say, hey, we're sticking in a $50,000 system, you know, $70,000 system. And maybe that's really the definition is, as soon as you buy that system, okay, I guess you're officially (laughs) mid-market.
1: Yeah, but I'll I'll tell you about a trend that's happening, and and I've I've validated this with a number of people recently, is that people are, are, are getting very frustrated with the, the lack of user experience design in those mid-market and even up into the corporate products, that they're actually now going, you know what, it's worth the sacrifice on functionality for us to go back to a more user-friendly environment. So a number of the, um, like I, I was speaking to, I hope he doesn't mind me, me saying this, but Simon, who's the distributor of Fishbowl in Australia, has a lot of his new business is actually coming from mid-market and, and enterprise solutions coming back onto fishbowl plus a, uh, a zero or fishbowl plus a, a reckon, as we call it here, rather than effectively going the other way. He actually commented that a lot of his new business is actually people just tired of the, the cost and the complexity and, and going, you know what, even if we don't end up with all that fl- flexibility and all that, 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 that comprehensiveness We're still getting a pretty good solution that's user-friendly and we get things like bank feeds and we get things like mobility and we get some cool features that we just don't get in in these very expensive big-end systems. So it's fascinating to me how it's all starting to play out. And and what is that point? And and that's – in Australia, it's a very narrow point that that it's becoming. Um, US, you've got such a large economy, the largest economy in the world.
0: Well, for now. (laughs) Um, They're
1: always going to be – yeah, for now, exactly Exactly. But, yeah, with with one of the worst banking systems in the world, but I, I probably shouldn't say that. Um, as far as the, the technology and, and our, you know, I, I'm still blown away by how many people still use checks in the US. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh,
0: yeah, paper. T- I was going to say, like, you, you really aren't going to get a lot of pushback uh, on our banking system here. The fact that, I mean, we have something like, you know, 3,000 banks in the US, right? They can't get their act together so they can do electronic payments, which is finally starting to come to an end, but... Yeah, still like fifty percent of businesses are using paper checks. So
1: unbelievable. Yeah, it's it, everything is electronic. I remember when, when Sage Live first came to Australia. It was an American who did a demo to me on Sage Live, and and I'm going, okay. So where's the ABA file? The ABA file in Australia is something called the Australian Banking Association file. It's a thirty year old file that's text based, but it's how every bank in Australia accepts it. And and the person doing the demo said, "What's that?" is that like our ACH in, in the US? We've got third parties who do that. I'm like, oh, no, no, it's not like that at all. You know, it's a free free thing in Australia. Everyone does electronic payments and has done for 30 years. Um, but, but what is there, seven banks in Australia? Well, no, not- the reality is there's four. <laughs> there's four oh, yeah. big ones. There's four that are in the top 20 banks in the world, um, but we've had a, a effectively a, a legislative environment that, that has strengthened those banks to the point that they are among the four of the biggest banks in the world and and, and certainly four of the most profitable banks in the world.
0: So I have a story for you guys about paper checks. Um, I did a bit of work for Zero a few years ago when I was in between jobs, and I sent my invoice into Zero US, and uh, I got back uh, a paper check in payment. <laughs> and I thought that was really ironic. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it was the only way. I, I shouldn't say this
1: that they don't use zero; they use uh, NetSuite. So, uh, blame it on NetSuite.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, that's right. So, when is zero going to be on zero? Is the question?
1: Well, if Rod Jury was still the CEO, I would say it, it is still a, an aspiration because that was always Rod's dream. But with Rod no longer sort of steering the ship, I wonder.
0: It's interesting. There was another article that popped up on Digital First about transaction volume, um, and I, I, the takeaway, I, what I came away with from the article, was that it's not really a big issue, uh, and that you can pretty much run as you know as many transactions as you need to in zero. Um, I think I feel like most of the limitations of the platform in terms of you know the mid market, as David and I discussed in our last episode, is it has to do around dimensional tracking and reporting um there's you know when you when you when you build the product so that you can only have two dimensions from the start it would be it would be very difficult to recode it so that you could have more and give people you know those custom fields
1: i'd I'd argue that point because that's where projects come in so both quickbooks and zero have added projects recently so if, (laughs) if i look at my options around dimensions in QuickBooks, as an example, I have projects, I have classes, I have five levels of classes, I have locations, and I have customer. All as dimensions that I can use on all my transactions throughout the system. And zero similarly mm-hmm. has this. So how many dimensions does the average organization need? You know, so I'm not saying that there's not, you know, the, the general ledger system in NetSuite is very strong and, and, and dimensions are great. But sometimes people overcook
2: it and they end up with more dimensions than they actually need.
0: In this, yeah. No, no, you, David.
2: Uh, I was just going so Matt, are you kind of saying then that, and I think this is your argument, right? Like people are sort of rethink this. Like I don't need an eight by eight dimension report. I need bank fees. Exactly. And I'm willing to sacrifice some ridiculous report for some one off manager in one of the divisions of my company so my accounting staff can get their job done ninety percent faster.
1: You have just nailed it. So my actual argument is it's ten years ago I had to sacrifice a lot to stay on a user-friendly product. I had to sacrifice transaction volumes. I had to sacrifice speed. I had to sacrifice a whole heap of things if I wanted a user-friendly system in Australia like MYB or QuickBooks as it was known back then. But today, the things I have to sacrifice are diminishing. I can go and get an add-on like Approval Max that gives me ERP-level approvals Without leaving Zero or QuickBooks, you know what I mean. I, I, I can and and the things that QuickBooks give me and uh, Zero give me as far as bank feeds and artificial intelligence auto coding are not even being talked about in the net suites of the world, the Intax of the world, these other other systems. And so, people, when they're when I'm looking at it, I'm going, well, why would you want to give up auto coding? Like, why do I want to enter a customer payment in 2018 in any accounting system? The first people who should have done this is the high volume transaction people who have lots of customer payments going through their systems. My bank feed is telling me when a customer's paid me, can't you just automate that process? And, and it, it, it still, it, it dazzles my mind that I have to go and get an add-on like Nolan for NetSuite to do some rudimentary level of bank feeds. I I just don't understand it. It frustrates me, and what I'm saying is that that gap between what I have to sacrifice to get that flexibility has absolutely narrowed. About you know things I'm uh, like I can. Sorry, the other way around. It, it's it's widened. The things I have to sacrifice. Have become greater to get flexibility. That's what that's what they're really arguing.
2: So, touch on something a comment make, uh, Blake made when we uh, recorded that episode a week ago, or whenever somebody's listening to this, it could be a couple of weeks ago. Um, Blake made a comment that like the people buying the software, making the decision, are different, and the person uh, that's buying this mid-market enterprise type software is a CFO. Right, And so is it? are these mid-market packages solving for that CFO and not actually solving for the CFO's employees who are going to use the software? Is that kind of like the, a root problem here? And this is why things like bank feeds never get added because the CFO doesn't care about the bank feeds.
1: Oh, look, I think Workday is a little bit of a disruptor. I heard a story, and I hope it's true, that Workday have a policy that their front-end design team must be under 30 and their back-end dev team have to be over 30. Now it may or may not be a hundred percent true, but effectively the premise is that someone who's young understands what intuitive design is and, and how I minimise the number of keystrokes and, and, and use the that iPad history. generation. Yeah, and, and then someone who's a bit older understands databases and, and 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 you know how to get that that functionality. You know, the, the Workday guys are the same people who developed PeopleSoft, so they understand the grunt work. But they, if you have a look at Workday and the way that it transitions between screens, and it's just pretty. And people like that these days. I, I think what's happened is is the mid-market in particular have sort of a little bit rested on their laurels because, in effect, there's an uneducated market that they're selling to. So it, it, I'm actually agreeing to your point here, David, that the CFOs aren't necessarily asking for these things because they don't know what they're missing. They haven't actually grown up on, on Xero and QuickBooks online yet. They've basically grown up with old-school you know, Sage fifties and, and
0: Oracle cream, SAP, or, or
1: come from the other end, and and, and they they're used to basically throwing people at a problem because the businesses have got enough money to, to solve those problems, or and so they they're not. There's a famous saying from Henry Ford: "If I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have got faster horses." right and and if you have a look at apple's success it wasn't from steve jobs going to the market and saying what do you want and then building what the customer asked for i think what the mid market has done is it's got too narrow minded in asking its customers what it wants and they want you know back end stuff or they want the flexibility to change this field or whatever and they you go down the development path of doing all that and you you actually lose sight of what's going on around you and behind you and in front of you and 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 I think that's what's happened. I I think they haven't actually paid enough attention to the zero QuickBooks evolution, Um, and I think it will come to bite them because I think they'll find it very hard to move someone once they're on those platforms. At the moment, it's probably not a big deal because they're still shifting people from desktop. But in the Australian market, we're hitting 50% penetration of cloud accounting software. Where are those mid-market vendors going to get their next customer from once we're up 60%, 70 80% of the market are coming from a cloud solution that has integrated bank feeds and artificial intelligence autocoding, where, where are they going to come from? Because they can't go and build that functionality overnight. It's taken 10 years for zero to get there. It's taken 16 years for QuickBooks to get there. It's taken 20 years for NetSuite to get where it is and it still doesn't have these things, you know. So that, that, that's really what I'm, I'm arguing and, and, and frustrated by.
0: Well, let's hope that some engineers, some product people, at uh, at Oracle NetSuite, at Sage Intact, hear our voices or whatever ERP company you you work for. <laughs> um, that's a great wrap to this episode. Thank you so much, Matt. If folks yes, thanks, Matt. who are listening, if they want to uh, follow you online, get in touch with you, how should they do so? Uh,
1: at Path, Pf, or at Value Adders consulting businesses um, set up to see where we can add value in any way. And Valuators was a logical name. So at Matt Paff or at Valuators, always the best way to get me either mainly on Twitter or LinkedIn.
0: And David, if, if our listeners want to uh, you know tell us about a story or, or be on our podcast, where should they contact you? Uh, Twitter's easiest, uh, at David Leary. And I'm at Blake T. Oliver. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, guys.
2: All right, man. I'm gonna stop. Not stop the recording just yet. Um, last time we had our last guest on, we kind of had a, like a little non-accounting related conversation for a second. So I'd love to kick something around. I think um, you and I talked about kids. I think a little bit. Like, don't, how many kids do you have? I've got three kids. Three kids. I have three kids too. So Blake's missing out.
0: <laughs> I, I just have one. I have one, but he's he's a handful. So
1: I've, I've got three handfuls. Six, three, and nine months. So I'm in the deep, dark depths Ooh. of parenthood at the moment.
2: I'm surprised you had time to do this. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> <The laughs> I've got a I've got a very good wife. Wow! Amazing, amazing, amazing! You 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 ran a company for
1: a while, right? Yeah. So I, I ran. You wouldn't have heard of it. I've got to actually. Can I tell you a story? Yeah, absolutely. So the company I ran was a company called Attaché Software in 1970s, late 1970s. Um, IBM were talking to Panasonic who were called Matatsu at the time in in Japan about building them what they called the personal computer, right? And a guy in Sydney called Gary Blom basically was the number one distributor of Panasonic in Australia, and they were talking to him about what do you think of this idea of the personal computer. Long story short, shift to 1981, and IBM have decided they're going to build the PC themselves. And so Gary being a smart Enterprising entrepreneur basically decides that what every this is the thing that's going to make every business in the world buy a computer. Until that point, it was microsystems and mini systems, and and very very few companies had a computer. And so when he hears about the IBM PC, he thinks it's going to change the world. And he says, "What what people need is they need the the hardware, but they also need the technology, the software to run on that hardware. And in fact, what we should do is we should package up the software plus the things they print." You know, the, the invoice layouts and all these things, plus the manuals, and we should put it into a briefcase. And he said, What I might do is, I might, let's set up a company called Briefcase Software, and we'll sell every time we sell an IBM PC, we'll sell a briefcase. And the briefcase could contain everything you need to run a
2: business. Uh, they thought about Except the, for the PC, right? Except for the well, PC. How did that fit in the briefcase?
1: No, well, that, what I'm saying is that he sold it alongside each other. So anyway, they okay. thought briefcase software was a silly name, so they came up with attache software because attache case, attache to the uh, PC. So the idea was that he, he went and got two companies, one who did microsystem um, accounting software and one who did minisystem accounting software, and he said as soon as um, this IBM PC comes out and it's got this DOS product on it, we need to basically engineer one of your two products so that we're first in the world to be on on DOS. And so basically they they did a joint venture and they set up a company called Attaché Software. So on the 12th of August 1981, IBM launched the PC with PC-DOS as the operating system. And by the end of 1981, Attaché had been able to port the micro business system across onto the DOS environment. And in 1982, a U.S. venture capital firm heard about what was happening in Australia with this attaché product, and they took attaché to the U.S. And effectively, there was only two accounting systems in, in the U.S. in 1982, it was mainly Great Plains and attaché. And I had some great photos of um, some conferences and stuff of attaché in the U.S. in 1982. Um, and so that's the company that I ended up running. The, the, the long horror story to the U.S. is that the guys who – started it in Australia, took the VC money, which was $8 million, and basically, um, sorry, my phone was just ringing. They, they, they took the $8 million and they spent it very loosely. They moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is a university town. They basically um, were Aussies who were in their 20s. They left their wives. They partied hard. They found university girlfriends, <laughs> and they spent $18 million in 18 months. And long story short is Attaché Inc. ended up being owned by the Bank of Detroit um, because of, they were the largest creditor or something like that at the time. And the Australian and New Zealand assets were sold to a guy called Mike Rich in Australia in 1985. So that's the company, the Australian subsidiary of, of that company I ended up running. Attaché Inc. in the US effectively died a slow death through the 80s and... and um, yeah, it was effectively the first DOS product with accounting software in the world, and it, um, it was, they were the first software company in the world to ever sign an agreement with IBM. IBM used to prepackage the software with the IBM PC. And so it's a fascinating story, and that's the company I ran for, for a number of years. Not obviously not all the way back then, I'm only 41, but
2: basically um, in the last five years is when I was running that company. That's cool. That's a great story. Beautiful.